And I thought a lot about what I wanted to do here the, this morning. And um, I'm going to start with a, a, a picture of, uh, of Israel. Okay, let's put that picture of Israel up. And hopefully you guys uh, are all able to see that to, to, to some degree, okay? And, and I've got a little pointer here, and I'll try to go back and forth, because I want you to understand the, the, the story of the nativity. And I'm going to get there in just a moment. But I kind of want you to understand a little bit. This is the country of Israel right here, okay? You can fit Israel basically in our central valley. That, that's the size of, of Israel. So it's not a very big, it's not a very big country. And you can see down here is Egypt. Over here is Jordan. I'm losing my light. Hey, it went out on me. Anyway, you, you can see Jordan. If you go north of Jordan, up by the Sea of Galilee, is Syria. So Syria will, will uh, border Israel. And then way up there in the north, you see that little bit of white up there, that's Lebanon. So you have all of these great Muslim uh, Arab countries all around Israel. You can see the Sea of Galilee up there. You see the Sea of Galilee? There's a town right on on the northern edge of the Sea of Galilee. It's called Capernaum. And Capernaum was really the international headquarters of Jesus. That's where his headquarters was. was right up there at the Sea of Galilee. And then you can see the the Dead Sea right down down there. It's that big body of of water. Then you see Nazareth up north. You see Jerusalem right there kind of in the middle of the country. Then you see see Bethlehem. Okay, now what I want to do is I want you to understand that Mary and Joseph were born in Bethlehem. We know that uh, for a fact that they were born in Bethlehem. There was a census that was going to be taken, and they had to make their way. All the people in the region had to go back to the town that they were born in to register for the census. They didn't have internet back then. So you actually had to go to the very town that you were born in. And so they were born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem was the city of David. They were both in the lineage of King David. So they had to go back to Bethlehem. But they actually lived up in Nazareth. That's where they lived. Bethlehem was kind of, kind of a pinhole on a map. It was the kind of city that you, you wanted to get out of. You, you, you didn't, you know, go, wow, I'm I, glad I'm born in Bethlehem. I, I get to stay in Bethlehem. It, it was the kind of place that as you got older, if you could, you moved out. And so, obviously, there was a moment in Mary and Joseph's life when they moved out and they settle up north in Nazareth. That's where they're living. Well, there's this census that has to be taken. The angel has already told Mary she's going to conceive, she's pregnant, she's well along in the process, and there comes a moment when uh, Mary and Joseph start to make this journey. It's about a 70-mile journey. Could you imagine, I don't know, uh, walking from here to, I don't know, Elk Grove? The problem is, as hard as that would be, there weren't nice roads back then. Israel's a, kind of a hilly country. The topography might be a lot like if you're in the Oakdale area. Imagine that. 
So the roads aren't very well. The, there are little mountains and there are rocks everywhere. There, there are rocks literally everywhere. I mean, there's just, you can't get rid of them. They're everywhere. And so this young couple, one of them's, you know, eight months along, I mean, close to nine months along, start making the journey from Nazareth all the way to Bethlehem because they got to go register for this census. It's not an easy journey. It makes it even tougher and you gals would understand, those of you that have been pregnant, man, imagine that trip. No cars, no trains, no taxis, no planes. You're walking or you're on the back of a camel maybe or a donkey. I, I've ridden on a camel in Israel. And after about, I don't know, 20 yards, I, I'm looking for Tylenol. My back is killing me. I've ridden on a donkey, and that ain't any more fun. And so they're making their way from north, uh, Nat, Nazareth, down to Bethlehem. And it's in Bethlehem, we're going to come back there in just a moment, where the Lord is going to be born. God then tells Joseph in a dream you need to get out of Bethlehem, and he makes his way down into Egypt, which is really interesting when you think about it. Because the people of Israel, if you go back a few years, were in captivity in Egypt. Pharaoh had burdened the, the Israeli people. And they're in captivity in Egypt. And Moses leads them out of captivity. And now God says, hey, listen, Joseph, I want you to take Jesus and go back down into Egypt. And Egypt was going to be the very place that protects the baby now. I think it's one of the reasons why there are two uh, really unique prophecies found in the Old Testament about Egypt. God, God says in two different places that he's going to bless Egypt. And everybody kind of wonders, that's weird, why? This country that had, you know, so burdened the people of Israel and, you know, they had to make bricks without any straw. And, oh, man. I think it has everything to do with the fact that Egypt was now going to be used to actually protect the Savior for a season. Then there comes a moment when the angel says, okay, Joseph, everything's good. You go back up to Nazareth. And um, go back to your hometown. And so Mary and Joseph leave Egypt and make their way all the way back up north uh, to Nazareth. And that's why the Bible says he'd be known as a Nazarene. That uh, wasn't an inexpensive uh, little jaunt down into Egypt and living in Egypt and all those things in Egypt and then making their way back up to Nazareth. And probably the gifts that the wise men brought, the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh, those were obviously given to a, a baby, maybe two years old or less. You know, what's Jesus going to do with a bunch of gold? What's Jesus going to do with frankincense? What's Jesus going to do with myrrh? 
Those gifts were given to him, and mom and dad probably took the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh, and they financed their journey down into Egypt with that, with that money and those gifts, and financed it, you know, got a little, little place to live down there, or whatever it was, and you know, bought food and all the things that you would need, and then used the money to get all the way back up into Nazareth. That's probably, you know, how they financed their journey, because they weren't wealthy people by any Stretch of the imagination. So here's, here's what I want to do. I, I want us now to go back into history to this moment in Bethlehem. And I've been to Bethlehem. It is literally a pinhole on a map. It's, um, it's uh, not necessarily a real fun place to be. It's very commercialized now. You can actually go to the place, you know, everybody says, well, right there, right there, right? That's the spot right there where Jesus was born, probably not the spot. But I want to take us back there to Bethlehem 2,015 years ago or so. And it's represented by the nativity scene. Probably all of you have a nativity scene in your home. We've got a number of them in our house. Or you received a Hallmark card with a nativity scene on it. Or maybe you've driven by some of the churches in town that put nativity scenes up. Or even some of your neighbors may have nativity scenes up. But uh, I want to take us back to this moment. So that is a, a spotlight, if you will, of Israel. And now I'm going to bring it down to a laser beam. We're now in this stable, this manger, this cave, whatever it might have been. And I want to look at some of the characters that uh, were there, and, and for some of you, I'm going to break your hearts. <laughs> um, here's the deal. Um, the, 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 the Bible says this in Luke chapter 2. While they were there, while they were there in Bethlehem, the time came for the baby to be born. And Mary gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger. And that word manger, there's a lot of disagreement as to what that word really means. Was it a barn? Probably not. Might have been probably a cave or something. But we, 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 we tend to think of it as that. It, by the way, it could have been a, a barn. It could have been a manger, kind of a scene. But a lot of scholars think it was probably a cave, maybe, that was next to the inn. Then there's this last phrase here, because there was no room for them in the inn. So all the people are coming back to Bethlehem that were born there. A lot of people got out of town, man. They finally went and found another place to live, maybe where they could make more money or whatever it might have been. Now they're all back in Bethlehem, and so the place is, is ran over with people. And that word in there doesn't mean like a Holiday Inn or a Marriott. They, they would have had little houses that may have had a couple of two or three rooms in it. And, and uh, most homes had an extra room. And, and everybody's coming into town. And guess what? Everybody's, you know, renting out all the rooms for however long this census was going to take. And by the time they get there, everything's, everything's you know, filled up. There's no place. They, they can't, they, they, there's no bed and breakfast places. There's nothing. 
the place where travelers would have stayed on their journeys going to and fro throughout the land there. It was full. They, so they arrived. There's no room at the place that they'd like to stay. They couldn't find um, a, a room anywhere. Apparently, they didn't even have any relatives that still lived in Bethlehem. Maybe mom and dad on both sides got out. There wasn't any place for them to uh, spend the night. But there was this manger. There was this, uh, this stable. There, there was this cave. There, there, whatever it might have been. There wasn't any room in the end. There was no room. So say those two words with me. No room. Say it again. No room. Come on, louder. No room. I've looked at that. There was no room in the inn, so Jesus, the Son of God, the second person of the Holy Trinity, had to stay outside in this barn or, or this cave that was probably close by. I'm sure the innkeeper probably knew it. said, hey, look, there's no room here, but here's the deal. I do have a barn over there, or, or there is a cave right over there. And you, you, could, you could stay in there. I don't have any place inside my house or inside you know, my inn. But I do have a little bit of room in this barn out there, if, if it was a barn, or this cave. I got a cave over there. That's mine, it's on my property, and if you want to stay there, you can. There was no room. He was relegated to the barn, if you will. Or in a modern day context, he was relegated to the garage. He knocks on your door, hey, you got a place for me to stay. I, really, I, I don't, there's no room, but I'll tell you what I can do. I can put you in the garage. That's more of a modern day um, concept, if you will. You're close to the inn. You're close. You're on the property. But you're going to be in the, in the garage where the oil stains are, stuff is thrown in the corners, it's cold, it's not warm. No bathroom facilities, you know. Dr. James Hastings said this, the difficulty with us today is just what it was when Christ trod the earth and the real reason why he means so little to so many of us is that there's no room for him in our hearts. You see, Christian, we have the ability because of our human nature to force Jesus kind of into the barn of our life, if you will, or into the garage. He, he's in the house. He's there. He's a part of your life. Your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. But he's, he, you, you've kind of relegated him to another part of the property. He, he's not in the, the room, the inn, He's somewhere else, but he's a part of your life. And 
And that can often happen to us. And, 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 and here's the thing about, about this nativity scene. So that, that's a little foundation. Just, just, just hang on to that for a second. Let, let me just pull a, a few uh, people out here. You know, you, you, you have these, uh, these wise men, okay? And everybody has wise men on their nativity scenes, but here's the deal. They wouldn't have been there that day. There's no way they could have been there. But they're pretty. I got them on mine, too, at my house. But the wise men aren't there that, 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 that day. They probably don't show up for at least a year. Because the Bible tells us that there comes a moment when they're no longer in the manger or the barn anymore and they're actually in a home. Everybody now, the census is over and so everybody goes, I'm out of here, man. I'm getting out of Bethlehem. And they all leave. Well, she just had a baby. She's not going to go anywhere for a while. So now everybody's gone and now there's, there's rooms available in people's homes and things. And the Bible tells us that when the wise men showed up, they showed up at a house. And that was probably at least a year later. It took them a long time to get there. And by the way, there were more than three of them. I think we got to the point where there's three because of the frankincense, myrrh, and the gold. And so we just say there were three. Three wise men, you know, showing up in Jerusalem or Bethlehem or whatever wouldn't have caused much of a stir. 300 would have. 3,000 would have. But they, they weren't there that, that morning. Probably, just to be straight up with you, I, 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 there probably weren't any animals there either. Because I, I think it was probably more of a cave than it was anything else. But animals are, animals are cool. And if it was a manger, then we tend, to, we tend to think of that, you know, animals that were in there. We know for sure that shepherds showed up. There were shepherds there. And then they went and left and went and told everybody about what, would, what had happened, what the angel had told them. Then obviously you got, you got old Joseph here and Mary. They were there. I'm not sure Mary looked like that after she was, gave birth. <laughs> but then, you know. My, my wife did, though. Uh, she, she looked like it. Just want you to know, you're unbelievably beautiful. <laughs> yeah, here's this righteous man, Joseph, the Bible tells us about, and, and Mary. And, you know, it's kind of interesting. They, they, they both were in need of the Savior. They both needed Jesus. But, but I'm going to take them out of there for a second. Because the central figure is the baby. There's no room. There was, there was no room for the second person of the Holy Trinity, God, to be born in an inn. There was no, there was no place for him. So whether it was a manger or whether it was a cave or whatever it might have been, it certainly was a crummy place. Most scholars believe that 
the manger or the stable or the cave was owned, as I said, by maybe the innkeeper. And he had access to it and said, hey, yeah, there's, there's no room, but you're on the property. At least, at, least you're, at least you're there. You're in the garage. And here's the deal. I thought a lot about this in my own life. I think there are a number of things that can, as Christians, can relegate Jesus from the inn to the garage. And as we end this year, maybe these two things might rattle around in your brains and as great as 2016 was, or maybe as horrible as 2016 was, maybe 2017 might be a different year for you, believer. You know, the first thing I thought about was that busyness can disconnect you from God. Just getting busy, life. I got a job, I got a career, I got to take care of my kids. I got all this stuff going on. My kids got soccer, my kids got this. This busyness relegates the king of kings to the garage. He's a part of your life. He, he, he just doesn't really have any room. He's not here. But he, he's there. I thought about the great story in Luke chapter 10. It says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home up to him, and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him, she came to Jesus and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all this work by myself? In other words, don't you care my sister is a lazy bum? I'm doing all this work. I got the pot roast in. I'm making tea. I'm cleaning the floors. I'm doing all the stuff. And all my sister's doing is sitting there at your feet enjoying your company. (laughs) Oh, Martha, Martha, Jesus answered, you're worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. Martha loved Jesus deeply. She loved Jesus. But somehow Jesus wasn't in the inn anymore. He he, he was in the garage. He might have been in a spare bedroom somewhere, but he wasn't the central figure in her life anymore. She's so worried about so many things. Good things, holy things. She's not doing anything sinful. She just wants to have a good meal for Jesus. Problem was, she missed out on the best thing. See, there are things that will enhance your walk with God and there are things that will mess up your walk with God. There are things that are important. Hey, making dinner is important. But when Jesus is in the house, he trumps the pot roast. (laughs) 
Everybody's got to eat. Everybody, you know, nothing wrong with having a clean house, nothing wrong with having iced tea. But when Jesus is in the house, that trumps all the other stuff. There are things that will keep Jesus in the center of your life, and there are things that will relegate him to the the barn or the stable of, of your life. Listen, here's the deal. I think all of us, today, tomorrow, this next week, we need to think about what are those things that disconnect us? from What, what are the things that goof us up, that keep Jesus in the, in the garage of, of our lives? What are those distractions that come? I'll tell you what, if you don't deal with them, You're never going to have the life that Jesus wants you to have. Never. The second thing is disobedience. It disconnects you from God. In other, in other words, not doing what God, what you know God wants you to do. Man, nothing will put Jesus in the garage of your life like disobedience. See, when God tells you to do something and you ignore it or you wait or you delay in doing it, It's an automatic disconnect because it's sin, and sin always disconnects you from God, always. Sin will always relegate Jesus to the garage of your life, if you will, always. So let me ask you a question as I wrap this up. Is there something that you know that God wants you to do that you've been, I don't know, procrastinating about? Is there something that you know that God wants you to do that you still haven't done? I mean, you're planning on doing it one of these days, but you still haven't gotten it done yet. Does God want you to get into a small group maybe in 2017? Does God want you to get up early and pray and read your Bible? Does God want you to sing in the choir or play in the band? Does God want you to serve in our children's ministries this next year? Does God want you to start giving? Does God want you to be baptized? Does God want you to join our church? Does God want you to forgive somebody? Resentment is one of the major things that causes a, a person to disconnect from God. Beloved, what, what, what is it maybe in 2016 that you were putting off? You know it was God's will that you do it. You know it. And because you didn't do it, it was sin. And so guess what? At that moment, he's not, he's not here anymore. He's a part of your life. He's just not the central figure in your life. He can't be. Because sin and disobedience always just shoves them into the garage. That's what happens. Listen to what God said through the great prophet Jeremiah. He said, said, therefore, this is what the Lord says. If you repent, I will. Not, not, Not I might, not I'll think about it, but I will restore you that you may serve me. And I want you to know, that is a great promise. Some of you maybe just need to repent of your sin, the the disobedience that you kind of been allowing to linger in your life. That you might 
experience the central figure of the nativity scene. You get all you know, distracted by things and man, maybe that leads to just disobedience and you just, here's the moment. This Christmas day, 2016, where maybe the Lord is saying something to you about some area of disobedience in your life. If you don't get anything else out of this morning's message, I want you to get this. You're as close to God as you want to be. You're as close to God as you want to be. And if you're out there and you're thinking to yourself, you know what? I used to be a lot closer to God than I am today. Well, let me tell you something. (laughs) Maybe you're just distracted or maybe there's just disobedience in your life. If you want to be close to God, you can be. It's up to you. You know why some people are really connected to God? You know why some people have God's power in their life? You know why some people are used by God in great ways? Listen to me. It's because they want that. They want that. And I just have to believe on a morning like this, we have communion, we sing these great songs, and in just a moment we're going we're gonna to walk out of here. I think everybody wants that, don't you, Christian? And so maybe you look back on 2016 and you think, you know what? He hasn't been the central figure of my life. He's been a part of my life. But there's just been no room in here for him, really. And I I need to go out into the garage. I need to go into the manger. I need to go into the, the cave. And I need to say, no, Jesus I've been so distracted, I got you in the wrong place. I've been disobedient, uh, I got you in the wrong place. And here's the deal, I'm gonna make a change. I'm bringing you back inside the inn. I'm bringing you back inside in the center of my life. I wanna be close to you. I wanna be used by you. I want my one life to, to, to count for something great. Listen to what King David said in Psalm 84. He said, I want more than anything to be in the courtyard of the Lord's temple. My whole being wants to be with the living God. Do do, do you? I mean, would that, is that really what you want? Did you get that? Man, I want to be with God. I want him to be, you know, in the center of my life. I want that. Here's the deal. You've got to deal with the distractions. And you've got to deal with the disobedience. You deal with those two things, I guarantee you. The Lord just won't be a part of your life. He'll be the central figure in your life. He will be. And watch what happens to your life. Listen, the one thing I have learned in my 40 years of being a believer is this. God um, refuses to be number two in your life. Now, number two is pretty good. He didn't want to be number two. He doesn't want to be in the garage. He doesn't want to be in a closet inside the main house. He doesn't want to be in the spare bedroom of your life. 
He doesn't want to be in the toilet, you know, in the restroom of your life. He wants to be smack dab in the middle of your life. The very first commandment of the great ten. You'll have no other gods but me. Jesus said it this way. The greatest commandment is this, is that you would love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's where he wants to be, is the central figure of your life. That's where he wants to be. And if he was that in 2016, praise the Lord. But it's a new year coming up. Be careful. Watch the distractions. Watch the disobedience. If you're thinking back on 216 and you're going, man, it's unbelievable that the year is over with. And you know what? I wasn't as close to God as I, I wanted to be. Well, here's the deal. Just evaluate a little bit of your life, the distractions. What is it that you know God has wanted you to do and you've been disobedient in that area? You, you fix those two things and that doesn't take much, I guarantee you. Man, your life will be different. The Bible says in John chapter 10 that Jesus came to give you life and life abundantly. And the reason why many believers never experience that abundant life is because Jesus doesn't have any room in your life or he's in the garage of your life. You want to experience that abundant life Jesus talked about? Deal with the distractions. Deal with the disobedience. And buckle your seatbelt. Because there is no life like a life that is lived to God's glory. Nothing like it. Nothing like it. Why don't you stand and let me pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for our time here today. I'm grateful, God, for the nativity scenes that I have, but it Sometimes they get cluttered up with things that just take us away from the main thought. And maybe today, as people go home, they might clear out their nativity scene and just, just have a, the child, the Son of God there. He's the one that matters. And Father, would you help each of us, those that name your name, to maybe examine these two areas, the, the distractions and the disobedience, that we might go into this new year different people. Lord, give us a great time around our tables today with family, friends, whatever it is we're going to do today, God. Thank you for your goodness to us, Jesus. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Hey, Lord bless you. Have a great Christmas day, okay?